Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. This is episode 1555, Standing in Two Worlds with Taj Shakluna, the Permapixie. For the episode today, Taj joins me to talk about practicing permaculture right now, where we are, in the culture and world we live in. We discuss the state of the permaculture design course in the United States and Australia, and the broader conversations going on around what that training is and what should be included during a course. With that is also some talk of self-care, so that as practitioners we don't get frustrated or burned out, but can continue on our path while remaining whole. We also touch on the importance of finding your own niche and understanding your personal needs and wants so you can practice authentically and not create more harm than good, or wind up on that treadmill of comparing what you do with others, but rather to be who you are and do what you do. Whether you are new to permaculture or have been practicing a while, this interview is a good refresher on why you and your work matter, and the importance of finding time to take care of yourself while tending to earth. Now then, on to Taj. I'll join you with some thoughts on this idea of living in two worlds afterwards. Could you go ahead and give the listeners an introduction to yourself and your permaculture work? My name is Taj Sukluna, and a lot of people now know me as the Perma Pixie. I started my small business about three and a half, four years ago now, I think it is. Uh, sometimes time gets the, the best of me. And I first started learning about permaculture when I was 19, and I visited a farm in Devon in England. And... I was totally blown away because it was the first time I'd ever seen that people were actually living the way I envisioned myself that I wanted to live in the future. But I thought that those years and those days had been and gone because I grew up in suburbia my whole life and had never been exposed to that kind of living before. So as soon as I realized that this way of life still existed, I basically wanted to grab onto it and hold it close with everything that I had. And I decided that, yeah, that's what I wanted to do with my life. And then as soon as I did a permaculture design course, that was it. I was, I was so happy because I was like, I found it. I, fi- I found my thing. And it stopped me from being, I guess, really angry and a lot of the time really saddened at the world and this current state of the world. And It made me feel like there was something that I could actually do as an individual rather than just looking at the things in the world that were going on and thinking about how, oh, what am I going to do about it? I'm just one little person up against all these corporations and um, all these like government systems and, and getting really disheartened. And then I found permaculture and I was like, there is a way that I can actually make a difference being an individual, just being one person. And so I took it from there and I tried to make a difference being me. What's your experience been like then? Oh, there's been a myriad of things. There's been a lot of trials and tests because I think that when you work on something that you're so involved with and so passionate about, sometimes there's a lot more at stake. You know, it's not just a it's not just a job. It's not just a you go there and you come home and, and you put your feet up and that's it. You know, my room is often my office and my brain is my office. So one of the biggest trials that I've had is actually trying to put a lot of what I'm thinking 
aside to give myself a little bit of a rest sometimes. But it's also very beautiful because it means that, you know, I'm constantly thinking about new creative processes to use for education. I'm constantly, you know, thinking about new kind of design ideas or I'll wake up in the morning thinking about a design that I'm currently working on. So it's a really rewarding experience. But Throughout the years, I suppose I've um, I've seen lots of things. I've seen that there's uh, been a lot of support in the industry and a lot of community, and the the willingness that people have to share has blown me away and made me feel so welcome and made me feel like this is really the the place that I'd like to be in in the world. And then sometimes I've also, uh, I'm just writing an article uh, at the moment about it, actually. Sometimes the world of permaculture has actually been a little bit more political than I had hoped it would be. And I have experienced some kind of people not necessarily being as open or as honest and sometimes approaching things with more a competitive mindset from a Western and individualized viewpoint than with a permaculture cooperation, not competition viewpoint as well. So there's been a a lot of different things, not only that I've learned about permaculture in this time, but that I've also learned about myself and my abilities and, you know, my niches and what I do like to do and what I don't like to do and how I communicate and also how when working with clients uh, doing permaculture, it's as much about relationships in a social aspect than it is about relationships in a design and element aspect as well. So it's been a pretty big journey, but I'm loving it. That mention of competition but also sharing comes to mind there was something i talked with diego footer from permaculture voices some time ago and he used the line that we're kind of at a point now for many permaculture practitioners where we're transitioning not to be competitors but to this idea of cooperation where competing with one another kind of helps us to better define our niche and what it is that we're talking about and doing in the world so that we're not oversaturating an area or taking away opportunities from others but being able to help and support that and i kind of agree there are there are four of us that i know that have been doing permaculture podcasts for some time in various forms that are still putting out new material having conversations with several of them i don't feel like any of us are kind of in the same vein doing the same thing because of our style and approach yes they're podcasts and have kind of a permaculture bent but we kind of add more to the permaculture community in the world by all being out there rather than making it harder for any of us to do what it is that we're doing. More to that idea of the politics, in my own exploration found that for the newer wave of permaculture, it seems like there's a lot more sharing and cooperation, but it's the politics get messy when it's about protecting something that we're doing or feeling like someone is encroaching on on our work. This has been an ongoing dialogue here in the States for the last year, year and a half, as there have been conversations about codifying what exactly a permaculture design course is and kind of divides us into three or four different camps about that, whether or not it should follow the designer's manual, first and foremost, whether it takes more of an approach of what Holmgren shares in his permaculture and some of those early ideas from permaculture one and two, or whether there's space for people to be taking this idea and and to be developing and evolving it into something that includes at least those 72 hours, but so much more than what 
framework we were given 30 years ago. It's actually funny that you say a lot of these things because it mirrors a lot of what's going on here in Australia as well. One of my biggest passion within permaculture is education. I love educating. Um, I love facilitation. I love seeing people learn through themselves, the earth and each other. Um, And it fills me with joy coming up with processes to just really open people's minds and, and get that wow factor. I really love seeing that in people's faces. So In Australia, we're also working, um, there's a PDC framework group that I'm part of, and we're working uh, towards the same things. You know, a lot of people think that some of Bill Mollison's uh, designer's manual, as much of an incredible work as it is, is outdated in some aspects for a PDC. Other people, you know, really like to follow uh, Rosemary Morrow's work over here. You know, then there's... um, I, I think everything has its, its has its merits, but it is really amazing to see that these conversations are actually being had because it means that people really care about the content that they're delivering. And I think that that's one of the, the main things that I get from that. I love the idea of, uh, what did you say before? Cooperation. Yeah, I, I really love that um, because it's kind of melding those, those worlds together. And sometimes I don't feel like, you know, to progress in the future, we can just step straight into another way of being. We really do have to accept where we're at to a certain extent in order to move forward. But there is, and I talk about this in my article that will be released soon, there does seem to be this new generation of permaculturalists or um, people interested in sustainability and regenerative living that I'm seeing that really just want to share. And they've got this beautiful mindset of, you know, they want to interlink, they want to network. And when they sit down and they they talk about different viewpoints, they don't argue. They actually just talk about, oh, I've learned this and you've learned this. It's so interesting to hear. And, And it comes from a place of pure interest because we're all working for exactly the same thing. We all care about the same things. So I think to express these ideas, of competition and to kind of protect things in that same kind of Western business framework is actually going down the road that the path that we're still on. I don't think that it'll be changing anything. I really think that, um, you know, the idea of carrying our Westernized, individualized mindset into permaculture isn't actually going to be very beneficial for it. You know, so, um, for example, I just went and attended an Indigenous weekend in uh, a few hours away from where I live here. And one of the biggest things that I learned there was I went there expecting that I would learn some knowledge, you know, about some plants and things like that. And what I learned was much, much deeper than that. It was very cultural, which was quite beautiful because we're lacking a lot of culture in in Australia. It was really cultural and, and really quite deep. And it made me realize even more so that it's not necessarily about knowledge. To move forward, we have to think about things in a completely different way and actually reframe how we view a lot of things and how our mindsets and our conditioning is. And that's what I've started to think about and explore a lot in these last few months now as well. Similarly for me, I look at a lot of that because I'm interested in narrative and story and dialogue not only between individuals, but also within the culture or societal context that we come from and how that influences how we and how we got from where we were to how we are. I've encountered so many people who are on that kind of similar path trying to 
figure out how to move forward from the life that they've always known and the stories that they've always been a part of into something else. And part of that transition is about how to stand between those two worlds of, of what they want and what they already have. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had about that everywhere from. And running into someone working at an outdoor outfitter and asking them about how they came to that job and they had spent 15 years, you know, programming and just had enough and they left and this was something that reconnected them with nature and gave them something to do. Or a friend of mine who, in conversation, he's retiring from his job in two to three years and he's always lived his life in a very structured way and now looking at it goes, you know, that wasn't me, but I did it because I had to and now I want to live my life a different way. And... How strange it can be, though, when people ask those questions and feel like you're not doing enough, having conversations with you or someone like Ethan Hughes and going, oh, you're doing such great things and I'm just behind a mic. But stepping back and understanding, though, the influence that you're having because people ask you those questions or having that appreciation when someone shares something with you. I don't just mean, you know, in our context as permaculture instructors, but being open to receiving what it is that others have to give and what you can learn from them yeah exactly well it's just like a forest with its nutrients and um i actually um i was uh, preparing the site for my beehive a few weeks back and i was listening to the podcast with ethan hughes and I actually sat down and cried for a really long time listening to that um, because a lot of the things resonated with me so, so much. And one of the things that he said during that interview that I wholeheartedly believe was that comparison will be a downfall of our species. And I was like, yes, you know, that's that's so true. We like we grow up in this world where we're constantly comparing ourselves to each other. And like and even within the permaculture world, I see it all the time. You know, I see it that person's a permaculture guru, for example. I hear that all the time. And um I I personally I can't stand hearing that word because like we're all here. We're all just as important and interesting and wonderful as each other. And it's up to us to see that, you know, and no one else is going to see that for us. It's up to us to see that and make it kind of flourish. But we, in permaculture, we even bring it into it by looking at people and putting them on these pedestals and going, oh, look, they do so much. And it's it's that thing. They do so much. But that's a very westernized way of thinking. Like we're we're all really pressured to perform at a certain rate and in a certain way and that kind of peak performance superhuman like business mindset is actually carried into permaculture quite a lot and then people go oh like they know about this there and it's very based on intellectual capital still as well so you know people are always constantly saying they know so much they do so much and um, one of the things that I think is quite beautiful is when people actually step away from that and really try and sink into their own skin and sink into where am I at right now and what do I want to do? And it might not be that you want to do all of the things that that other person is doing. Sometimes we really actually have to stop and question whether we want to be doing that or whether it's just our conditioning telling us that we should be doing that, that we should be doing more. And I think that it's just as important someone sitting behind a mic as it is someone tending to a garden. It really is about that forest ecosystem and how we play a role in that. You know, um, I'm developing a, an educational exercise at the moment. And I'm actually meeting up with my, one of my friends who's studying psychology to really try and uh, – 
to look deeply into it because I want to create a social permaculture exercise based on a forest system so people can find whether they're a canopy tree or a ground cover or a shrub or a pioneer species and whether they they can see what skills they may have or what characteristics they may have that'll fit into this social permaculture kind of framework and make sure that groups can actually get along as forests get along. Sometime we should do a conference call. I'll have a friend of mine who has a systems theory background, but also works in the field of health and human services. And I'm sure that the three of us together could have a very interesting dialogue about systems and social theory and permaculture and kind of go to interesting places with it. I've been interested in and um, exploring social permaculture a whole lot more. And I love gardens. I love gardening. But, you know, I'm still finding my niches as well. I know that education is definitely one of them. But, you know, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a jack of all trades. But I think that that's because I get so excited about everything that I, I just try and do everything. And, um mainly because of my excitement for it. But one of the things that I've been exploring more so in social permaculture is the fact that I feel like every facet of permaculture is needed. And part of me feels like it's quite, or maybe it's because I've enjoyed plants for so long, but it's quite easy sometimes to garden. You know, it's it's a little bit like A plus B can equal C if you, if you look into it a little bit. And, you know, a lot of people can have an intuitive gardening, an intuitive green thumb as well. But when it comes to people and society and culture, it becomes a lot more complicated. And I feel like they're the things that are that could really inhibit the movement, but really inhibit like a regenerative living from taking hold and becoming more of the the way of the future is if people actually can't learn to get along and if we don't truly know our, ourselves and what it is that we want and how it is that we wish to go about things. So perma- social permaculture has been a very big focus of mine in the last little while. And I think it's mainly because of education as well. I work with so many different people that I'm always interested in how those people work and how those people click and how to bring them together and form community as well. Because that's one of the most beautiful things that I see in permaculture is the formation of community. And and in our courses, we whenever we get to that point where we kind of can't stop people from talking anymore and they're all getting a little bit rowdy, it actually it makes me really smile because I'm like, Yes, it's worked. They all really like each other. We've formed a community now, you know, and people want to actually talk and and be engaged in these conversations because they've finally met people that think in the same way as they do. And it's really enriching to, to see that. I still have friends who I stay in touch with from my permaculture design class five years ago. And ours was not an intensive, but just spending some weekends together because it was a shared environment where we all kind of had a a similar goal in learning this material and making a difference with it. And with what you said earlier about that kind of focus sometimes in permaculture on the intellectual capital, coming from kind of an academic background and pursuing permaculture and other interests in that way, I know that that's a place where I get stuck sometimes. And one of the most interesting moments for me from that PDC experience was one of our fellow students worked a lot with the homeless population in the city where we were taking our PDC. And during our final design presentations, one of the things we were working on was kind of converting this one building into like an arts and culture community center. And what the one student wound up bringing up, which he was the only person who engaged in this, is he talked about the homeless population in the city 
and something as simple as a publicly accessible 24-hour bathroom at that building would have a huge impact for so many of the people who have to wait until they can go to a place like the library or somewhere else to find a wash facility or a restroom compared to the rest of us who are so focused on the intricacies of design. And again, how everyone's story, everyone's voice matters in these practices. Yeah, it's it's really quite interesting uh, when you start to pull things apart like that as well. You know, like I'm I'm very focused on intellectual capital. Like I buy books at a rate that I don't read them at. I'm just like, I've actually got a bit of a book addiction. <laughs> I know there are worse things to be addicted to, but I do have a bit of a book addiction. But, you know, I, I really, uh, I love information. I, I, I love factual things. And, you know, I love to sit down on reading a book about microbes and things like this and people telling me all these different facts about, you know, why a plant works in the way that it does. I really, really love that. So I'm quite an intellectual-based person and I know that, but I'm trying to kind of stay aware of that and not putting all of my focus onto that like on the weekend for example I did this indigenous weekend it actually it, it, it impacted me quite a lot because I learned a lot of things that I didn't think that I would I went there really seeking some knowledge and um, quite a few people there got a little bit frustrated, I think, because they were also expecting lots of knowledge to be shared. But, you know, I saw a, a lot of other powerful, powerful things. And one of those things was the fact that for these people, it was a really massive step for them to come and actually share anything with us, anything about their culture with us. This woman was from the desert. And, um, it really moved me in a way to see the kind of cultural impacts and also to step outside that intellectual capital framework for a minute instead of focusing on knowledge so much to actually focus on the bigger picture and what was actually going on around me and how uh, for me that was a, a big rewilding the mind moment which I really really believe in you know stopping looking at our conditioning, looking at the way that my brain was kind of working and trying to rewild that for a moment and go, okay, do I actually want to be feeling or thinking this way and basing everything on intellectual capital at the moment? Or I do, do I want to go a little bit deeper with this and think about what else it may be teaching me? So that was a pretty profound moment. <laughs> Though the experiences that you're going through to bring you to the realizations that you're having in these changes are very different from my own you're touching on a lot of results that are similar to what I've personally encountered in the last year or so in working through this. My book addiction is ridiculous <laughs> at times, and I finally had to implement a one-in-one-out policy that until I gave a book away, I was not allowed to buy another one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it requires me to really cull my library in order to keep it manageable, and I know that I'm, I'm not quite keeping it right, but I'm trying to. I think Beauty Beauty and the Beast destroyed me as a kid. I think now I've just got this, I, I envision this massive library with ladders everywhere that one day I might be able to have. I, I justify it to myself because I facilitate. And, I, I you know, uh, that's how I really justify this addiction. You know, oh, you know, I can lend this book out. Or maybe a student will really like to read this one day. Or, you know, it's a resource bank, basically. And that's how I justify it to myself. But... <laughs> I might have to put some limits on it as well, I think, because I think, you know, just like anything in excess can be, um, things can be a tool or they can actually inhibit you in some ways as well. So, I'm, you know, I'm constantly through the first chapter of about 10 different books at any given time because I'm just so intrigued about what's, what's in them all. <laughs> Similarly, that's a place that I found myself and 
again, another way that I've kind of come to manage that is I have a, a two book at a time policy, one for work, one for fun. Oh, that's lovely. So I'll be reading like a piece of nonfiction just for enjoyment and then a piece of permaculture focused um, nonfiction. Though sometimes it, I'll wind up reading two permaculture books because I just enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. I had a friend say to me like a couple of years ago because, you know, I became a lot more, um, I don't know, I don't know if the word is frantic or not. It's the first word that came to my mind. Uh, you know, you could say focused, you could say frantic, I, you could say driven, you could say crazy. Uh, but I became uh, a lot more of all of that when um, I got uh, interested in permaculture more and started to really, really um, go down that path. And I had one of my friends say to me, you know, in the midst of starting my small business, because I was just so driven about, I had this view in my mind, I'm like, oh, I've got one chance really to, you know, to do what I'm passionate about for the rest of my life and to make it work because I don't want to be doing something that I don't enjoy every day. Why would anyone? I don't really believe in it. And I had one of my friends say to me, Taj, when's the last time you actually read like a novel for enjoyment? And I couldn't actually tell him. I had no idea. But, you know, I, I, it's not like I don't enjoy all of the permaculture books and things that I'm reading. But I just really had this kind of mindset of I wanted to be learning something at every single minute of the day, basically. You know, but uh, I've learned from that. And I guess some of the social permaculture things come in here. But I've learned from that that unless I take adequate times of rest and of recuperation, I won't actually be taking those things in enough and uh, I won't be as focused as I could be. Uh, so that's been a, a very big learning curve for me throughout the years. And I think that a lot of perma I've heard so many people talk about it in the permaculture world of experiencing permaculture burnout, basically. And um, I just about every single person that I speak to. And I think that it's because a lot of people feel that there's so much at stake. Like when you look at the natural world and you love it, you love it like it's your own family and your own child. When you look at it that way, you sometimes don't even want to take a breath because you, you think, well, I do. I can't say this for everyone else, but I sometimes don't want to take a breath because I'll sit down and there's so much at stake. But at, at the same time, if I don't sit down, then I'm not really enjoying the thing that I love the most either. So it's been this little bit of a, sometimes a, a paradox and a little bit of a battle, but that I've, um, I've heard that other people have actually themselves experienced. So it's nice to know that I'm not alone with those things. That idea of permaculture burnout, again, reflects very much on my own experience. There were several months ago where I was just pushing and pushing and pushing so much and so hard that I wasn't taking any kind of contemplative time to step back from it. People were asking me, why did you send me an email at four o'clock in the morning? I was like, well, because I didn't sleep. I was getting stuff done. There was this, there was that, which speaks back to that, you know, Western business mindset of there has to be more, there has to be more. Yeah you know, this productivity and getting things done. But more so for me, it reflects on something that you opened with about how when this is more than just your livelihood, I don't so much practice permaculture or the creation of this podcast anymore. This is what I live. You know, this isn't just a way to, to have an income. This is my life and my livelihood. And even when I was in my previous life in IT. I've never been someone who was very good at separating like my profession from my personal life because it's all my own. But the more that I walked down this road with permaculture, I know many times I didn't want to stop or to rest or to breathe or to sit down because I was reminded of all the things that are going on that in that moment I couldn't impact. That 
there are times when you have this connection and care for earth and people and everything else that it can be hard to take care of yourself in those moments because of how much is on the line. Mm. Yeah. My friend Natasha Alvarez had a project, The Year in Black Clothing, which was all about expressing her mourning for the damage and destruction that was occurring to the earth. That just gave me goosebumps. She and I are planning to sit down and have another conversation about that. I think it's in the archives, and I'll link to it in the notes for this show for people if they want to hear it. But it is to not be overwhelmed by that. It's a very hard place, I think, for a lot of people. Is um, And I talk about this in courses quite a lot in saying that the fine line between inspiration and being overwhelmed and it happens to people all the time we also what you just spoke about with the year of mourning basically like it gave me goosebumps and really stuck out to me because um one thing that i have been exploring a little bit more um is the grief the grief that we feel as as a species um that is actually you know as people that are connected to the earth and for people that you know are really in touch with these natural systems to be honest it wasn't really that long ago that we were all completely in touch with those natural systems. So to come so, I don't know if far is the right term, but to become so different so quickly, I think uh, it is really detrimental to people on even a subconscious level. But the people that are conscious of it, there's a lot of grief that people feel at the moment. And I sure, sure feel it. And um, I don't want that to be the driving place for what I do, because I think that if you had grief behind the wheel, it could be a very, very rocky and tumultuous road. So I'd rather come from at it from a different kind of place, a place of, you know, I, I said this in one of an in interview with someone, I think that people are more capable of change through love and motivation rather than fear and desperation. So I don't want to have that as the, the steering wheel, but I think it's also a really amazing thing to acknowledge because it's one of those things in our society where we don't exactly acknowledge our emotions and the way that we're feeling and how they that can actually have an impact on the positivity that we can start producing. I've only just started to explore this, you know, I've been exploring Joanna Macy's work and things like this because I really feel that in order to progress as well, we need to start being in touch with those those feelings and not necessarily being overwhelmed by them, but giving ourselves some space to actually feel them and then giving ourselves some space to also really kind of forgive ourselves. I think that with grief sometimes can come this uh, weird place of guilt as well, where we feel guilty in a Western world for the lifestyle that we're living and exposed to. And we feel guilty about that because we're aware of how it impacts other people and other places as well. So I think there's a real fine line there because if a lot of people, I think guilt is is very inhibiting a lot of the time, but I know a lot of people uh, and myself included that have, have felt a lot of it for a long time. And that guilt and being in a Western culture, one of the things for me has been that I grew up in a way that it was always about personal responsibility and that the choices that you make and the actions that you take are what will make the difference in your life. And it's only been relatively recently that I've gotten to read some of the research and social studies that show how much, you know, poverty can impact someone's life, how much, you know, having educated parents makes a difference, depending on what society you live in and how flat income equality is and things like that. All these different pieces play together that are part of the system that are so rarely acknowledged of how we got to where we are. This was something that I talked 
with Jason Gadeski with Off Air when we were talking about myth and storytelling. Because I have such an individualized focus on what we can do, I didn't always think about the larger systems. I was looking at the permaculture community and the individuals involved there and different pieces of the sustainability movements, but not about the society that I found myself in. And there are requirements if we're going to stand between these two worlds. You know, a left foot in American or Australian society or right foot in the permaculture community and navigating that road that we are going to be complicit in destruction and damage that can be hard to handle and needing to accept and acknowledge that that's a part of this system that we don't have a complete choice in being a part of. Yeah, I was thinking about it, you know, I was, I was actually talking about it with someone the other day, you know, there's a, being a bridger is really hard. And, you know, um, for a lot of people living in the uh, Western world, like I said, connected to the earth, it is really, really difficult. And I think quite a few of us have had the, you know, idea of, oh, I just want to go to another country and another place where this this doesn't have live, live a different lifestyle, basically. But um, one thing that I, I really believe and I've really actually seen is, that doesn't change anything. You know, the cogs will still be turning one way or somewhere else. And same goes for the kind of ideal kind of dream that I started with in permaculture with, and I think quite a few other people have, is the idea of wanting to go off and be off-grid and self-sufficient because we don't want to contribute to this. And um, as, as much value as I think that there is in that, a lot of people actually remove themselves from society in doing that. And when you remove yourself from a society, I don't think you're changing anything within that society that you're not necessarily interested in or don't actually believe in either. So I think that, you know, like with in permaculture, change happens around the edges. It's all about the echo tone. So if we actually value the marginal and value the place where we're at along that edge, uh, I think that's where we can really be change makers is um, just kind of uh, accepting that, accepting that that's where we are. You know, I, I'm doing a lot of that at the moment, accepting this is where I am. This is where my family is. These are the people that I love. And, you know, I'm not necessarily going to sacrifice that and go and, and live somewhere else far, far away. I would actually rather try and stay here, be fulfilled socially as well, and then try and make my changes within that social kind of framework. But it can be a very hard road, a rocky road sometimes, putting that pressure on yourself once again, you know, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. I think that that kind of mentality is a little bit detrimental, but I can't say that I don't have that in my head a lot of the time as well, uh, trying very hard to change it. I've had some invitations to go live in some of the communities that I kind of personally aspire towards, but realize that one, that is an aspiration. I'm not that person. Yeah. You know, I wanted 20 acres in the middle of nowhere and to be self-sufficient as you spoke to. Yeah. But there are certain pieces of that that I'm not very good at. And I think it was Toby Hemingway who said, I've subsistence farmed and uh, it's not that much fun, even using permaculture ideas and things like that. And so kind of accepting this place in this role. And it's been a conversation here in central Pennsylvania among many of my fellow permaculture practitioners is how many people we've had come and go over the years because they'll be looking for community. And then we're like, well, we're here, we're, we're working on this. It's like, well, no, I want this or I want that or I want this. And then they'll wind up moving to one of those places where those things are occurring that they're looking for, which kind of limits the availability for other people to see it. Because there are like six main cities in the United States that have that kind of progressive, community-oriented, sustainable nature that a lot of people are looking for 
But what we really need are people to stay where they are and provide models and do it in place. Ben Weiss, I think, says that in in one of your interviews as well. And um, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that people have this uh, this idea that they envision of community to be, and it's kind of one way. You know, it's it's been like that. Uh, all communities are different, but it's still the same kind of community that people think about. And to be honest. That's not for everyone, you know, and, and especially when we're, we're looking at very individualized kind of um, way that we live now. Of course, that's not going to be for everyone. It'll be really, really challenging for people to actually, I don't know, just go into a community all of a sudden and, and plonk themselves there and be like, OK, yeah, I'm doing this now. Where I, I see people every day. We share communal meals. Like it'd just be way too full on for a lot of people. And um, I think that, you know, we, we need to respect that. We need to respect where people are at. I stayed on a community earlier this year. I was living there for five months. That was a real eye opener for me because that was kind of like one of one of the dreams that I'd had for years. You know, we we built a, a tiny house. I helped build build my own house that I was living in, which is something that I've wanted to do for years. And I lived in this little tiny house, and we, it was a community for permaculture um, and exploring simple living. And one of the realizations that I had when I was there was. I'm not simple. And uh, it was really, really hard for me to realize that and to think like that because I was actually trying to run a permaculture business from two hours away from Melbourne City, plus do my my education and teaching and things like that as well, plus maintain a relationship with my partner who did actually live in the city because that type of community wasn't for him. And that was fine. I went and, and explored it. But I was driving about eight hours a week and I was like, this isn't simple. You know, my mind wasn't simple because whenever I'd get to the community, I was like, oh, I haven't been here. So I really felt like I needed to put in a lot of effort and a lot of work because I didn't want these people to be growing my food for me or looking after me while I was kind of off busy in the world that they were not really interested in. <laughs> so, you know, I had this this moment of just being like, oh, something's going to have to give here. You know, I, I, can't, I can't actually have two feet in both these worlds because I'm really overextending myself and overstretching myself and at some point there's going to be there's going to be a tear and I I didn't want to wait for that moment where I kind of broke down and so I made a decision um and my decision was based on the fact that I love teaching so much I was like what do I truly live live for like what what is my true passion and it was it was teaching it's education and I said okay well I want to make sure that I'm doing that no matter what and that meant that I, I had to leave the community, but it, which was a very hard thing to realize because I'd wanted it for so long. But then I just realized that what I'm doing, which means that I'm actually embedded in more of a more of a city lifestyle than I would like. I mean, I live in the hills and things like that, but, you know, it's still connected to power and everything. Yeah, it meant that I was still going to be embedded in, in some of that world that I didn't really enjoy as much. But the work that I do, I enjoy I enjoy that a, a, a lot more sometimes than community living. And that was a realization that I had. And it was um, actually quite a beautiful one at that, but it was very hard to go through at the time. You know, also, for example, my, my partner's greatest passion is uh, he makes electronic music. You know, so it makes it quite hard if we're going to go try and find a community somewhere. I don't know if their ethics will be in line with, uh, you know, some of his or some of our ethics. 
I think that sometimes there's certain certain sacrifices you make in your life for the other things that you find truly important. You know, the value that I find in my relationship and the value that I find in my work means that I make some sacrifices. It means, yes, I am connected to power or, yes, I may be living, you know, uh, some of the lifestyle that I um, hope to kind of progress with or move to different ways in the future. But yeah, I think that there's a lot to say about little sacrifices that we may make in our lives in order to stay connected to our truth and what it is we really want to be doing. So that was a bit of a rant. (laughs) Where you went with that again, as I've said several times, is reflective of the nature of, I think, the road not only that I'm on, but many people who are in this current wave of permaculture because of having come up in many cases removed from here in the United States in particular there was a heavy back to the land movement in the, the 1960s and 70s so many of us who are part of this current wave we're like in our 20s and 30s our parents may have been involved in that at some point in their lives through you know their parents or a particular phase of their life but then it kind of the baby boomer generation wound up kind of settling down in the cities and the suburbs and there's this feeling that something isn't right about that for so many people who are discovering permaculture now, but how do we navigate between those two spaces? And it's very much like what you described. For me, as much as I'd like to go off to the land and have some acreage and live in community with people, I also understand some of the stability that I need. The location of where I would want to live to continue to have, as you mentioned, those social connections. I wouldn't want to move several hours away and not be able to be a part of that. And just how each of us have to make those decisions of what our needs and goals are and decide accordingly. It's not my place to judge what you do, but just to support you on whatever road you're on. There's a lot to say about that. I think it's it's better to have a focus on uh, what it is you need, like what is your needs analysis, you know, and what do you need at that time? And I think that acknowledging that is much more powerful than trying to force yourself to do something else because it may have less impact. Because I think the impact that it has internally on you will actually create a bit of a ripple effect and have uh, more of an impact on external things outside of that as well. So, you know, I grew up in in suburbia, um, in the heart of suburbia, and I, I grew up for years with a feeling that something was wrong. And I didn't know what it was. I grew. I used to have these feelings like I was meant to be somewhere else and I didn't know where it was or what it was or anything. And it used to frustrate me. I used to have this real restlessness about it until I, I you know, I, I moved and I, I realized, you know, I realized that I didn't want to be a part of that suburbia kind of uh, lifestyle that was in fact... Uh, the mentality was the thing that was quite destructive to the world, I felt, you know. And then through that kind of experience and journey, I've found that I can still practice permaculture while I'm living in, while people are living in urban environments and things like this. I think that people have sometimes a very one-sided view of how you should live if you're practicing permaculture. Like for example, uh, we do uh, a zone zero class in our permaculture design course and we run a little exercise in it uh we ran this exercise um actually it was a a few weeks ago as well where we write down on the board all of the different spaces that you have in your house you know your uh, kitchen bathroom laundry and we write like conventional methods of um or appliances or you know uh, ways of using energy within those and then we look at alternatives you know and then we asked everyone to get into pairs and discuss with each other one thing that they were going to do 
and take home. Some of the things were just simple, like instead of boiling a kettle all the time, having a thermos by your kettle and pouring the hot water into your thermos. So then whenever you want a cup of tea, you can just go back and, and reach for the thermos. You know, Some of them were very simple things, but sometimes I think that in an age where a lot of people now have to practice landless permaculture, I think that it's actually just as beneficial to speak about those small things that we can actually do every day. And it's much more empowering for people than having you know a six hour class on solar passive design you know i still think that obviously the teaching behind those things uh, is very very crucial but not everyone now and a lot of people i know can't go and just go yeah great i'm gonna build myself a solar passive house so the the ideas about energy behind that way of thinking i think are very very important but it's also very important for people to take something home that they can actually start practicing, however small it is, because then they can feel like they're still practicing and embodying permaculture by being an individual in the way that they're living and where they're at at the time. As one of my friends used to say, if we give up should and must, we'll get to can and do. And it's a little silly, a little sing-songy, but I feel that if we are concerned less about that image or making judgments about what others are doing, that will get a lot more work done and return to more of that cooperative spirit by accepting where we're at and where others find themselves. But I've already had you today for a little over an hour. We're a little past the time that I'd originally spoken with you about. But before we draw this interview to a close, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? I guess if I had any thought to give to anyone, it's just just to be you and just strive to do things that you really enjoy. I think that there's a lot to be said about enjoyment and happiness and the effects that that not only has on yourself, but the people around you and how it inspires other people to make changes. And that's not going to happen through anyone else but ourselves. So I think that we've got a lot of internal work to do as a species. So I actually think that it starts with each individual. Thank you for that and everything else that you've shared with us today, Taj. I really appreciate you arranging that we can talk across this gulf of 16 (laughs) times to have the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. I listen to your show a lot. It gets me through um, a lot of gardening and uh, a lot of driving as well. So um, I very much appreciate your work, Scott. Thank you for having me here. And that was the Permapixie Taj Shakluna. You can find out more about her and her work at thepermapixie.com, which includes her upcoming calendar, a blog, videos, and lots of other information and great materials to connect with. When it comes to that idea of living in two worlds, most of us, one way or another, exist with one foot in permaculture and the other in a larger society that doesn't share our goals of creating the world we want to live in. That can become frustrating and lead to burnout and other harm to manage difficulties that make it feel easier to drop out of one of these worlds and fully inhabit the other, to find a community to live in and let go of transforming the larger culture towards a more regenerative one so that we can just take care of ourselves. Or, on the other side, to embrace that culture and let go of permaculture practices and leave it to someone else to do that work. I can understand the appeal of both and have considered doing either one on several occasions. But as I continue down this road that I'm on and connect and hear the stories of more people, both those that occur on the air or from listeners such as yourself, I realize that we really are in a period of transition. There are so many incredible and wonderful things happening Radical permaculture projects, the connection of permaculture practitioners with local government and others to be installing things like food forests in public spaces, 
that we just need to keep doing what we're doing. Sometimes when it becomes overwhelming to step back, take a little bit of time to reorder ourselves and our work, and then get back into it, but not to give up one or the other, because during this time of change, those of us who stand in the middle as these bridges help both sides through what we learn and what we're able to bring to the conversation and to the table, especially as models for that larger culture and the people who are still mostly there begin to walk more towards permaculture and a regenerative future. Wherever you are on your path, whatever it is that you're doing, I'd like to hear from you. How are you handling those moments of frustration? Where are you in deciding where you want to stand and what you're going to do with each hour and each day that you're given to change the world? Give me a call, 717-827-6266. Send me an email, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Or, as I shared in the beginning, feel free to send me a letter, The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. As I will be taking off next week for the Christmas holiday, this is the last new interview of the year. The final episode of 2015 will be a look back over all the episodes and places the show has gone this year, and that will be out on December 31st, 2015. And the first episode of 2016 will come out on January 7th and be a look at the plan for the show for that year. Until the next time, spend each day creating the world you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.